So John, I want to move on to number six on this sheet. And that is that dining room, kitchen conversation. This this conversation, like if you can't get this conversation right in 2019, and right means um, uh, get the right marketing, allow vendors to have hope, but at the same time, don't give them this false expectation because the last thing we want is a, a, any of the agents in this room getting 150 overpriced turkeys and not getting an asset, getting a liability. When you, when you get a listing, when you get a listing that's not saleable, it is a liability and it's not an asset. And um, I want to touch on, John, the issue of... So, by the way, for those of you that are listening to the podcast, <laughs> Dr. Fred gave, uh, uh, Dr. Fred gave Fred uh, Pragamanos $10 earlier this morning for one of the questions that he answered but he's actually been kind enough to give uh, John McGrath and Troy what appears to be a, a Jaffa. <laughs> right? Um, so You've got to uh, knock them over at the listing presentation. You've got to, you've got, you've got to knock them over at the listing presentation. You've got to be remarkable. Well said. And now, now there's a bit of guilt oh, there, there go, and yeah. Tommy gets ones as well. Every kid gets a prize. You Every right. kid gets a prize. I want to, I want to, talk, I want to talk a little bit about a listing presentation. I want to talk about... The fact that in real estate, there are three phases to a listing presentation, the before, the on the day, and there's the after. And um, Troy, John, when you're looking at your McGrath people that are impeccable listers, 10 out of 10, unstoppable listing presentations, what are you seeing? Well, Troy, Troy mentioned the word earlier, which I really like, process. Mm. And, and some people freak out at the word process because it sounds robotic and it's almost like taking the personality out. It's not. You pour the personality over the process and that's how you get it. But you don't wing it. And most agents, Tom, that I come across, they wing it. So w what is your... How do you wow them before the listing, somewhere between when you're invited and when you physically see them, when there's normally a 24, 48-hour period in there, what is the first thing you're doing to make yourself stand out and it's typically things like what are the questions you're asking what are the three four five six questions one could ask when on the phone to give yourself the right intel and make sure that you arrive better equipped than anyone else for the listing presentation what do you send them deliver to them so for me the best agents that i coach it's a pre-listing package within 60 minutes hand delivered now you can drop it that night you can put in the mail for the next day, all of that's okay, but speed, in most people's minds, speed equates to value. So if you deliver me something 45 minutes after we've spoken, you've got my attention. So in a game of inches where it's winner take all, the person gets a listing, gets 100% of commission, close second gets zero, what are the, and Troy used also a great word, layering, what are the things you're doing? So ask four, five, six great questions. You then hand... Courier or hand deliver, someone from your office, courier, whatever it is. So I'm sitting on the phone, I've just hung up from you on this beautiful personalised letter and package, so I'm looking forward to meeting you tomorrow at 3 o'clock. Here's a bit more about the process. You then do the research. You send me a calendar invite saying 3 o'clock calendar invite. Wow, you've made making it easy. I've already put it in my diary, but it's nice you've received an invite. The next morning you send me an SMS confirmation, looking forward to seeing you at 3 o'clock this afternoon. So you've already, before I've arrived, I've given you four or five reasons to suggest I'm more professional, more organised, 
and better at making it easier. You're going to, John. You're going to beat the guy. The guy that does none of that <coughs> and shows up at the listing present ten, pre- presentation ten minutes late and says, "Sorry about that. There was a bit of traffic on the road." You've, you've already smashed that real estate agent. Yeah. So you you know you've almost got to be. They've chosen you before they've met you. That's kind of a positioning. You want to walk in as Superman, as the person, Superwoman, Superman, and and, and get there. So. <coughs> Then when you're there, you're right, Tom. So you know, five minutes before is about the right time to arrive. Ten minutes before is a bit freaky because some people, you know, getting out of the shower or something like that. So you want to make sure it's not too early. But you certainly, there's a big difference between two minutes early and two minutes late. I'm sitting here because I'm, you know, a bit of a fastidious about the stuff. I look at it. I'm thinking, shit, 11:02, an 11 o'clock meeting. Then the doorbell rings, and subconsciously you're thinking, you know, is this going to happen right throughout our relationship? Yep. So. Um, from my perspective, the punctuality bit is important. So, so John, can I talk about, you know, <coughs> the first 30 seconds, so you've done all of those five points of contact, Outlook calendar, text message, pre-listing kit, that door opens, mm-hmm. chances are you may have not, se- there's a chance you may have not seen these people because you've had one of your assistants or customer service people actually deliver the listing pack mm-hmm. and you haven't done it. So this door opens and you meet the people. I've also looked at LinkedIn, mm. probably so Facebook. you've done some research. Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. I've kind of, I've got a sense of who they are. If I don't know them, now some of you might know almost everyone in your community. That's fine, but sometimes you won't. So, yep, so I've done the research. I've arrived five minutes late, rung the bell two minutes before. Yep. What's, what's that first few minutes look like? Is it take me for a tour of the property? Is it... Let's sit down and let's have a chat. Is it a bit of both? Yeah, so this is the, the most important thing for me is your, your energy at that point. Because people will read and feel your energy before you've said anything or done anything. And this is where this course, that, well, it's not a course I've done with Fred. I guess it's a, half a lifetime we spent together, which has been, and Victoria, which has been a great pleasure. And that's why this stuff, arguably, and with respect to Tom and I and Troy, is more, more important than this stuff. Because you know we can teach process pretty readily, but if you arrive and you're a bit arrogant, flighty, egocentric, uh, yeah, distracted, all that sort of stuff, if you arrive with all the world's best process and intent, um, you're not going to cut through. So the most important thing is take all this stuff you're getting from from Fred and Victoria at a personal level and and make it you know your authentic self because they feel that. They feel if you walk in and you're angry or you regret something from three, five years ago. They kind of feel it in your aura and your energy, I suspect, Victoria. It's still there, right? So it's how do you, how do you kind of eradicate it from, from yourself? So, yeah, I, I do a tour, you know, after you, you meet and, and have a quick chat. I, I like doing the tour first. Some people do it at the end. For me, it gives me a better sense of who they are, their fastidiousness, their creativity, their attention to detail, the way they lay out the home, we have a, an extended conversation on the way, it allows me to ask some more professional questions so they kind of understand. It allows me to take notes, which I'm a great note taker, because again, for me, it's like if I'm telling you something that I think is important and you're not taking notes, I'm figuring it's, you know, you're not that interested in it. But if I'm saying to you, well, Ian Halliday designed this in 1979, I say, do you mind if I just take a couple of notes while we go through? That says to me I'm dealing with a professional. So game of inches, what are the little things you're doing to cement your spot as the clear choice? Um, so th- you know, that's the way then we go around and then I always try and find a place where we can sit up a la this type of table versus sit down in a lounge because I'm generally wanting to have them lean forward, go through notes. I'm a very visual person. I like kind of drawing things and so forth. So 
Yeah, I think that's kind of the way I, I take it, the tour. Okay. Um, let me ask, John, the, uh, the issue of ensuring that you cover the points they want to get covered. <coughs> you know, and generally speaking, you know, the things that need to get covered in one of those meetings is, you know, price, what the marketplace is doing, uh, uh, method of sale. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've got a global agenda, what I call a global agenda. Thank you, Doug. Um, global agenda is those things. Why is it global? Because it's not yet specific. Specific is going to be what else do you want me to talk about today? So, Tom, you know, there's six things that most of my clients want me to talk about prior to them giving their property to me for sale, and I have to just cover off so you know where we're going. But also, everyone's got their own questions and, and things that they might have concerns about. Could I add anything to that list to make sure we cover everything today? That's, that's gold. In fact, everyone, I'd like you to have a listen. In your own words, the conversation that everyone needs to deliver at a listing presentation is, Mr. and Mrs. Vendor, John and Susan, most of the people that call us out want us to cover the following. What the marketplace is doing, roughly the price range. They want us to cover what method works best and why. They want us to cover a little bit about our fees, what advertising and marketing is involved when selling a property. They want to know a little bit about us and myself. If we were to cover that, what are the things that you'd like us to cover to ensure that you got everything that you needed out of this meeting? Pretty much that sort of conversation then structures you to have a conversation. I think John, what John is saying is 90% of people are going to want the same information mm-hmm. and then there's a group of people that are going to want some mm. further information. And what you're doing is give permission for them to, to, uh, to, to cover that in that conversation. And good quality, exactly, Tommy. And, and bi- good quality business meetings, and this is a business meeting we're at, right? Talking about selling a million dollar asset and how do we maximise the price. That's pretty serious business. And, you know, most business meetings, good ones anyway, have agendas. So do you have to type it up? Not necessarily, but I've seen some people do that successfully. It's your, it depends on your personality. Others like to write it as they go. There's five things that most people, can I just go through them with you? Some just like to talk it, so it's up to you. But again, when they say, oh, well, I also want to know, someone's told me we should furnish it, Tom. Great, so let me just jot that down. We'll cover that. Anything else? Well, there's school holidays and Easter coming up, so do you think we should wait for a couple of months or we should do it now? Because then there's the federal election and then it'll be winter, so great, let's talk a bit more. I'm going to talk about timing, but I'll specifically relate to the two elections and Easter. (coughs) So now we're getting into a good quality meeting and we've created a roadmap for them and for us to go through. So then it's up to you to practice the bits that are, tell me how's the market right now? Um, How can I add value? What do I have to do? Pricing, you know, pricing seems to be the one where people trip over a lot. Why? Because they tell me that, well, I've experienced it, and people tell me, well, competitors, it's worth, when I was at Townsville yesterday, they were saying, oh, we went in, this house was not worth more than a million, and the competitor said it's 1.2. I said, well, firstly, you actually don't know it's not worth more than a million. You're not sure of that, but I take what you're saying. You've got some comparables that suggest either side of a million is probably what it's worth. And... Guess what? This is not unique to Townsville that people have agents that are out there punting at 10, 20, sometimes 30% more. It's crazy stuff. So don't kind of get flustered. Just assume that will likely be the status quo and deal with it in a professional manner. You guys are getting paid when you get the listing and get it sold and you do that repeatedly and sustainably. You're getting paid more than neurosurgeons who often go to 
university for a decade and then spend another 300 hours a year upgrading their skills. So like, seriously, go out there and, and just keep practicing it. So when someone says that, you have a methodology and an approach. And I, I prefer, to, I, I try to, I use it sometimes, I avoid the word scripts and dialogues because it feels canned. It's more of an approach. How do you deal with it when, when someone does that? So one of the things I do is I take it on up front. So Tom, you know, one of the good news, because I know it's always a little bit emotional, one of the good things for you today is to know is we don't have to finalise price. So today what I'd like to suggest is the day for you and I to meet, discuss the direction you want to go, for me to really understand what are your goals. Hopefully I'll put a plan in front of you that satisfies all those goals. And if you feel confident in appointing me, that'll be a fantastic meeting for me anyway. Gang, that's absolute gold. One of the good news about this meeting is we don't have to finalise price. It takes the pressure off everyone. And, which, and, and the reality is, you don't have to finalise that because there are far more important things that matter at the moment, and that is, what is John going to be doing to actually get that price? Yeah, and, and that doesn't mean you avoid the conversation because that is relevant. But here are the comparables. Tom, when buyers come through, I'll almost guarantee that these are the three home sales and the two that are on the market that they're likely to point to, to come up with their expected price range. You'd let me know if you agree or disagree. And then, you know, most of the time, yeah, well, I think I'm kind of at least as good as these ones. So comparables are extremely relevant, but the reality is no house or your apartment has a recommended retail price. They're all different. The, the value depends on how many buyers we get. If we get six interested buyers, it's gonna be a higher value than if we get two. So don't paint yourself in a corner have a, an authentic, transparent business conversation about the comparable sales. If they think there's a better comparable higher, they should discuss it with you. And I just say, have I missed anything? Is there anything that you think I should have included on the list? Most of the time they say no, or sometimes I say, yeah, what about that one which went for 1.2? Okay, well, I think it's really interesting and relevant. Um, it was an extra 33% land size. That is considered the dress circle location. This is a great location, but buyers kind of see a premium attached to that. But I think you're right. If I'm looking for a comparable to kind of maximise the price, that would be one of the homes that I'll be pointing to. So you're getting a conversation with someone. You've taken the pressure off price because you've raised it up front. You're using comparables as a guiding stick to help you get into the right ballpark. You have an honest conversation. And I find that I didn't. I can't think when I last lost a property on price because I just think I, I, I learnt to handle it well. Mm. So if that's one of the objections you get, it's usually that and fees slash marketing seem to be the two controversial things. And I just think they're not that hard. I mean, the fee part, this is one of the beautiful industries where you don't have to pay me anything until I get you a great price. So it's kind of like, it's a moot point in some ways. I can quash it up front. And again, I say to people, you know, Tom, there's no doubt there are cheaper options than me. No doubt at all. I can find agents that'll do it for half what I'll do it for. Let me just take you through why I think we're really great value at 2.5%. And so again, I, I, I don't apologise for being a bit more expensive. I explain it. And then, I, and then at the end of it, I say the great news is you don't have to pay me anything today. Yeah. You've got to just decide whether you think I can get the most amount of money for you. And if you do, let's move forward. If you don't, I respect that. That's the care, but not that much bit. Because if you're too needy, you know, Tom calls it commission breath. If you're too needy and too desperate, that actually has people reel back. If you're comfortable, I same with buyers. I just say to people, look, Karen, if this is the right home for you, 
It's fantastic. Let's work out a way this afternoon where you can own it and be in there in six weeks. If this is not right, I don't want you in here. Like, I'm not here to try and help you get into a home you're not in love with. So you've got to tell me if this is the right home. And if it is, I'll guide you as to how we can get you to own it quickly. And so, you know, when they say, no, no, I do want to own it, we've got a plan in place. So you've got to have that energy. And again, when, when you're not shooting the lights out, it's easy to get desperate. And you, it's easy to take desperate energy in. And, you know, Fred and Victoria would be far better equipped than me to deal with this. But if you are feeling desperate, you've got to find a way to not feel so desperate. Mm. Yeah. And it's same, exactly the same with buyers. If I'm desperate and I really want to sell it and my agency's running out in a week and all of a sudden they're going to pick that up. And same with sellers. God, I haven't listed a property in six weeks. The cupboard's bare and I really need this listing and it's a trophy listing. People feel that. Whereas if I just walk in and say, here's the plan. Tell me what are your thoughts about that? What are your concerns? Here's the direction we're going to take you. I'm a bit more expensive than the rest, but I think I'm great value and here's why. Don't have to finalise price. You kind of comfortably take someone on that journey. And then you just say, so how does that feel for you? Would you like to get started? I was going to say, someone said to me, Tom, what's the best way not to be desperate at a presentation? I said, well, the best way is actually not to be desperate. And the best way, <laughs> <laughs> the best way of not to be desperate is to, to realise that there should have been all this other stuff happening in your real estate life. Yeah. So when you're sitting in front of a listing presentation... And hypothetically speaking, it's the only listing presentation you've gone to for three months because you actually haven't been doing any of those other components that you're not actually that desperate on whether you get the listing or not. And um, I think that would be it. Don't put yourself in a situation where you need it so much. I want to finish on uh, one point, John. And Troy, I know that you work very much as the head of learning and training at McGrath's on this issue now, particularly in the last one or two years, where you've had this gap between vendor expectation and what buyers wanted to pay in the market. And it's this topic of vendor management and the fact that there are some real estate agents that have got this ability to be able to keep vendors up to date with what's really happening. And some of that news isn't great. Some of that news sometimes is stuff that people don't want to hear, but they need to hear. Can I just ask you, what are one or two or three thoughts that come to your mind about vendor management and helping vendors accept the reality of the market once the property's been listed? So a few things. Do you want me to go first? Or you go? Yeah. So a few things. Firstly, I used the phrase before, you don't paint yourself in a corner. A lot of the problems with when it comes to managing expectations is people are sloppy up front with what they they portray and promise. So, oh yeah, million dollars, no problem. That's not a problem. Yeah, I'm going to have, I'll have 50 or 100 buyers through this. And they're making all these kind of loose cowboy-like statements. And then when these don't come to fruition, they're either looking like they lacked integrity or they're embarrassed to actually say, well, you know, the feedback's actually been 880, not a million, because they've already, they've painted themselves in that tiny little corner called a million. So I think um, avoid the disaster up front by being cautious and thoughtful. Thoughtful is probably a better word than cautious because I don't want you to be nervous around it. But you know, you just, just don't overpromise stuff. Just be a, a trusted advisor. You can't imagine working into a lawyer or a doctor and them kind of like making these brazen promises about how everything's going to be fine. We're going to win the court case by a mile. You're going to be cured in a week. You know, they're thoughtful. And I think, you know, that gives people confidence because they feel you're a trusted advisor, not a snake oil salesman. So I think up front, it's your energy. It's your um, don't, don't paint yourself in the corner and overpromise. 
Uh, I think the frequency and the quality and the relevance and the detail of the communication thereafter is key. Mm -hmm. So I would give people a detailed debrief after every inspection, not just open home. If I took Susan through this afternoon at three o'clock, I'm, I'm letting you know exactly what she said, what she thought, what she's looked at. So you, you've heard the conversation as closely as I have. And if I can't get to you, I'll email it. But I'm, I'm not just saying, yeah, I had someone through today, it wasn't for them which is what a lot of agents do, because that doesn't take me anywhere as a vendor. It just says, okay, fair enough. You know, Susan came through with a family. It's not the right home for them. There were three things that didn't quite fit her buying criteria. Felt the road was on the busy side. I suggested a few options, but it wasn't for her. Two is she needs minimum of this. She wants to put a pool in the backyard, and, and our land size doesn't allow that. So give them some specific, <coughs> not to condition, because I hate that word and that concept. It's to educate, because... Our job as agents is to make sure the vendor is in the right frame of mind when the right offer comes in to grab it. Because everyone in the room has had multiple situations where great offers have come in and someone's just let it go. Yeah. And then they in the first week sometimes, isn't it? First yeah. week, third month, whatever <laughs> it is. But at some point, the right offer, according to the market and according to your you know, research, comes up. And they're not in that headspace. And then three months later, they call another agent and they say, geez, I wish bloody Troy had told me to take that offer of 950 I told them I wanted a million, but now I'll take 900. And we've all seen that. So my job is not to condition someone, but to educate them along the way so they hear the market feedback, intelligent feedback. If I hear crazy comments from a buyer, I'm not going to pass them on. Um, so then intelligent, well thought through feedback. Frequency, so for me it was daily contact with a vendor as a minimum. Most of my properties were selling in like three weeks and nearly everything was auction and nearly everything was vendor paid campaign. So to put it in perspective, I'm not talking about a you know, bottom drawer listing that's going to take three years. I'm talking about things that were actively being marketed, minimum daily, sometimes four times a day. If I was having conversation with buyers, following up buyers, getting feedback, I'd get straight on the phone and ring up. So, when, but, but we aren't talking about, you know, some of you I know have got 60, 70, 80 listings in a lot of the regional areas, John. The marketplace that you were working in, you normally well, had about working 15? With, yeah, I was working with 12 to 20 listings right. at any one point. So they, they were, comp with auction, they were compressed, everything was happening yeah, over selling, a four-week period? Selling in a month. But it was also like, is it chicken or egg? I mean, the reason that they were selling is because I was communicating rapidly and frequently. Um, there were plenty of agents that were selling auctions and taking two and three months to sell them. So I do think frequency, relevance, detail of the communication is critical. You were also very big, John and Troy. I know you talk about the expectations meeting. Yep. A formalised a formalised meeting right at the start to set it all up. Yeah, so the expectations, John mentioned that right at the front. You can't wait until week four to have a pricing alignment conversation with your vendor. It's far too late. You've got to know your numbers up front. So you've got to know how many people you're expecting in that first week to come through the property. And if you don't have that number coming through, then you're having a meeting almost immediately with your owners. But the expectations meeting agenda just covers off every possible scenario that's going to happen during the course of a campaign before it happens. So what happens if we get an offer week one? Right? What's the scenario? Uh, what happens if we get no offers? What happens if only we're expecting 12 people to turn up and we only get three? You know, does it come down to pricing? Does it come down to presentation? Or does it come down to the marketing of the property? 80% of the time, we would say that it comes down to the pricing. And this is not to be confused with the listing presentation. This is stuff no. because it's too much to take in all at one spot. This is something that arguably can happen at the end once you've listed the property, but probably happens a day or two later. 24 to 48 hours, we see the majority of our really successful agents doing that. A lot of them seem to do it at the photo shoot. You know, or, or after or, getting photos approved, yeah, sometimes take I would them make back. sure that it's a, an environment that you can have a 
real in-depth conversation, not with any distractions around. Sometimes with the photo shoot, you've got photographers, videographers, floor plan artists coming through and asking questions. So that after is perfect. But it's also a great time to introduce any of your team members. So if you're working with a CSM or an assistant, it's a great time to introduce them to the property and say, this is um, Karen. Karen works directly with me. She's actually in charge of all our marketing and our buyers. So she'll be covering off everything. You'll probably hear from Karen a lot during the course of the campaign. Pete Fooder talks about you've got to play a game you can win. And, you know, he said most agents uh, have got blindfold on, they're in the fog, there's a dartboard on the other side of the room and they're hurling a dart in the direction. That's how a lot of agents run their business. He says, I grab the dart, I walk up and I put it right in the bullseye. So how do you... What the hell is that? (laughs) Um, So how, how do you play a design a game you can win? You have that discussion. So let me just talk you through. We may get the best very offer first time around. So I want to talk about how we deal with something that feels like it's an attractive offer day one. Day two, you know, just take you through the process. So set it up for success. Don't just hope that when the right offer comes again, they're going to be in the right mindset. Design it so all the scenarios are dealt with up front. So they say, okay, I remember you said, you're funny, Troy, you told me that one of the best offers could be the first couple of people. God, second person through. I don't know what to do because this is bang on what we were hoping for. Okay, well, let's just talk it through, as I said before. So design a game that you can win. Okay. So, gang, my intention is that uh, at some point over the next two days, I'm going to go off and give you a set of bullet points in addition to what we talked about, and uh, (coughs) then you're going to be emailed a blank one of these. And uh, by the way, the reason I set this up is I had one of my daughters three weeks ago said, Daddy, I've got to explain at school what is it a very good real estate agent does in their job and I thought to myself it'd be really good to have a one pager and I thought it's not only good for a 15 year old I think that most real estate people would find it very handy to have a dashboard sitting up in their cubicle or in their office to remind them these are the processes I have in my nine components. And I don't think if you, can ex- if you can't explain it to a 15-year-old, I think sometimes it can be too detailed and cluttered <coughs> for an adult to actually do. So my intention is that you all have your own personalised system that you say, this is the way I do my nine different components of my business. But before we finish off, John, um, I'd like to ask people... Is there any questions in the room about what was talked about or any other questions whilst I've got Troy and John in this room? And then we're going to wind up. And uh, Troy, this will officially be the longest Million Dollar Agent podcast. Is it longer than the one we did at Canada Bay? Uh, I think so, yeah. Yeah, this is going to be the longest Million Dollar Agent uh, podcast that we've done in 200. Is it 200? What are we up to? Uh, 219. 219, okay. <laughs> Have you listened to one yet? <laughs> yes, I've... I, 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 actually, I, should I, should I don't like listening to anything I do. No, doesn't like listening to anything I do. But is there, is there any questions at all? Over here, yes. So the question is, for those on the podcast, we've just been asked, how would you handle, I will only sell if I get my price? I think that 100% of vendors will only sell if they get their price. Really, the question is, what is the price? And at, at some point, you need to decide, is this a piece of business you want to take on? So if my price is 1.5 and your comparables are at a million, 
it's probably a piece of business that I'm going to walk away from. But if someone's saying, well, look, I want a million, you've told me the comparables are in the early nines, I'm not interested in selling in the early nines, and you know that they're moving to Queensland, they bought another house there, so they're probably their motivation. You've got to be able to read between the lines too. Not everyone is going to tell you exactly what their move is. I've been, you know, as many of you guys have been, I've been at an auction where someone said, reserves a million, I'm not going to take a cent less. And the bidding's at 9.38, and they say, geez, if you get them to 9.50, I'm, 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 I'm a seller. So that's not a piece of information or insight to take advantage of. It's just a reality of what it is. That So I, I make an assessment on the spot, and I say it's my job to get you the highest possible price, whatever that is. If that's at or above your price, fantastic. If it's below, then it's totally your decision if you want to take the offer. So I th- again, I just, I just run with it, but I don't get caught in it because sometimes objections are kind of thrown on the road, yeah. and you just you've got to be careful you don't kind of drive into them. Some people will say that, and it's someone saying, I want to get a good price. And you say, yep, I want to get you a great price too, and it's good to know what you're looking to get. I think um, the person that says that and um, is coming onto the market for the first time, <coughs> has no real motivation, is quite different to the person that says that, that has bought elsewhere, is extremely motivated, so it's not what they want, it's why they're selling. And um, as John says, you've got to be able to read the play because if they are that first group and we are in a marketplace where it has been more challenging than most, I have a lot of real estate agents that tell me, Tom, I'm happy a lot of the times to have a, a conversation with them saying, listen, on this occasion, I may not be the best agent for you. And they're happy to be the second time around agent. Mm. Um, I do have a lot of agents that say that. They say, you know, based on what you've told me and based on the comparable sales, I would love to be working with you. But if you've indicated, particularly if they've indicated, I've had other agents that said, I'd get one nine. You know, I've got a friend of mine in the business and he's saying, I'll get one nine. You know, I had one uh, in Melbourne that said to me, in the conference I was in Bali um, with the uh, agent, he said, he had one that had just come on the books and he actually said, the guy said, I've got a friend in the business. He said, listen, if he's a very good friend and he's saying he'll get you the one five, give it to him for 30 days and uh, see how you go. And the 30 days had come up and he was getting offers of around one, two. And he had got the phone call and he said, you know, I really respect what you told me the day at, um, you first came out. So um, I think the motivation is important and I think reading the play is important and second time around is not a bad strategy in some marketplaces. Other co- another question. Yes, Catherine. Um, about the videos and when you come out of the house and you take the video, I'm a little bit hesitant to do a video if I've just listed a property and I don't have a contract. Yeah. I mean, I've seen a couple of people take photos of letterboxes and they deal with the letterbox. So the question is... Um, Catherine, Catherine Hoare said a little bit reluctant to do a video on a property that has just come out and there's no contract available for it. So the, the main reason that you're concerned is that it's breaking the law. Yes. Yeah, well, I mean, that's a black and white, you know, uh, issue there. And I don't think you can be marketing a property. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm not sure it's black and white, though. I'm not a lawyer, but I think the law says pretty close to the words that a property cannot be offered to the market for sale unless a contract is available. So number one is, is a contract available? And you might be right, Catherine, in this instance it may not. Two is if you are, without disclosing the address, letting someone know you have a property in the suburb they're interested in and a price range that suits them, 
if they're interested, come and talk to you, in the knowledge that you're going to have a contract tomorrow, but without disclosing the address. So I said to Peter, um, don't disclose the address if, yeah. if, um, if you haven't got a contract. But I don't see any problem standing in front of a kind of a, a house and it's maybe you don't make it so obvious exactly which one it is, but I, I don't have a problem with that. But you make your own assessment on it. But I just think, you know, just let people know you've got a great home coming up. Yeah, so I think if there's no address and you're out the front and it's not very clear what the property is and if you haven't signed that up, it's probably not a great idea to be putting a video <laughs> up anyway because... <laughs> The Catherine, yeah, yeah. yeah. Catherine, the other <laughs> option you can do is, is um, you know, wait two days till you've got the contract and then go and do a sneak preview. Yeah. Yeah. Just go back there in the car and say, I've just listed this home at 10 Smith Street. It's coming on the market in 10 days. If you want to see it before, drive past it, north aspect, facing the bridge, great views. You know, it's probably going to be one, two to one, three. If you're in that price range, give me a buzz. Can I yeah. just add to that? Also, we actually wait to the call before we post anything yeah. to do with that property. Like, there's no way I'm posting so it's 24 hours, right? That's yeah. Karen just said that until it's become uh, uh, unconditional, no cooling off, that there's no uh, posting uh, online of, of a result. And by the way, as, as I said to you before... No, no, that's a listing. Oh, that's a listing. Yeah. Oh, until you've si signed it up. Signed it up. Signed it up. There's 24 hours. Yeah. You've, you, you've talking about video and the fact that Karen's talking. I said to her just before we came on to this session. That's a your trademark now. I mean, it keeps coming up on my video. Karen's got this trademark. She walks casually out of the car, puts soul a soul by. Doesn't make doesn't make this big song and dance. Hey everyone, just sold this right. It's just nice and casually, and she gets the sticker and she just nicely puts it on there. <laughs> make sure it looks good. And it sends a strong message. Another one has just been sold, and then casually walks away. <coughs> I, I love people love predictability. By the way, they love seeing the same thing. It's a bit of a brand trademark. Is there one quick more question, and then we're going to uh, finish off our longest ever podcast? <laughs> yes, over here. Um, do you have any advice about off-market um, vendors that don't want to go publicly to market? Do we have any advice for off-market vendors who don't want to go? to the market with marketing. John? Yeah, I, I always drill into what is the reason and sometimes the reason is, is a really valid one and I think it's the right thing to do. Sometimes uh, it's not. So I drill into the reason that they don't want to go off market. I think that off market, especially in a market that has been sitting in Sydney and Melbourne and a couple of the bigger cities has been softer, is going to be a, a course that more people will want to at least try initially. So I think you've got to discover, is this a try initially phase or is this a this is all we're going to do phase? And is it, if someone says, look, I've got to tell you confidentially, we're getting a divorce, we don't want anyone to know. I say, totally understand, discretion, confidentiality is really key. Here's the issue. The minute I take someone through the home, the community is going to know about it sooner mm -hmm. than later. It's, you, you can't stop someone, you can't bring them through, blindfold them and say, don't tell anyone, right? People are going to talk about it and they're going to, you know, eventually, you know, they'll find out and then people start asking questions. So I think sometimes, the same as when people say open home inspection, I don't want an open home, why not? Well, I don't want people seeing, I don't want neighbours seeing it. And I said, well, I understand that, I'm a private person too. However, if we cut six people through it versus 60 people through it, we're going to get better results with 60. So if we do an open, except you go, go away for the weekend, except there's going to be a few neighbours see it, 
So I, again, I would rather, if I was selling my property today, not to have an open for inspection, but I would also have to weigh that up with the fact that open for inspections generally deliver you a much better result. Same with off-market and on-market. So I'd say, why don't you want to do an open? Why don't you want to go on, on market? And if I think it's a really valid reason, I'll just run with it. It could be a two-step approach. Yeah, and, and in many ways, a lot of people will say is most listings today are uh, off-market but not real off-market sales. And what's yeah. happening is there's an increasing amount of real estate agents. And I've seen agents tell me that it works very, <coughs> very effective, that they'll sit there at a listing presentation and say, hey, I've brought with me and I've highlighted, and this is very powerful, you highlight the 27 buyers that you think are going to be suitable for this property. Not some database showing them, not some iPad screen, just on, on your, your buyer book where you've highlighted and say, the minute you appoint me, I'm going to be in contact with these people and I'm going to get them through all at the one time to create social proof because we want to create urgency in a non-urgent market. And that's very compelling to a, to a vendor. All they want they don't want anything else but a buyer to buy their house. And then you'll say, and if one of them don't buy your property, we will then sit back and have a further phase two conversation. That's what that is, is believe it or not, John, is I've bought, uh, for those that aren't listening, because I lose my wallet all the time, I bought one of these tiles. And what happens is that... Um, it, it Bluetooth, so I can lose my wallet anywhere and I can through my mobile phone press it and it'll say this is where your wallet is and what happened is just I sat on it's on my bum, I sat on the wallet and that, <laughs> that's all that's all it was. So I've got Thank you so much. Thank you.